Let me start with a question this morning. Do you ever worry? (laughs) What are you worried about today? You don't have to answer that, but think about that. What's on your heart and on your mind that's causing you some concern? Is it anything? Is it a lot of things? You know, if you're like most people, this summer there has probably been a part of your worry that has something to do with the coronavirus. A recent survey revealed that 90% of respondents reported increased worry, frustration, boredom, and anxiety as a result of the ongoing pandemic. People reported feeling stress and isolation during the quarantine, worries about their health, fear about unemployment, uh, and uncertainty about what will happen to their loved ones. Another survey said that 70% of people worry about having enough money to pay their bills. Parents of school-aged children have been worrying about when or if schools would reopen and how that's all going to look, and if they do, uh, what's it going to be like for our kids spending so much time on a computer? I can't blame anyone for feeling uncertain and even a bit uneasy about what's going on in our state and in our culture. No one knows exactly what to expect next. A few years ago, an organization called Benedin Health uh, commissioned a survey to discover the most common sources of worry. And here are their top 10 worries uh, across uh, America, counting down from 10 to number one. This is according to their survey that, that number 10, diet. Number nine, job security. Number eight, rent or mortgage payments. Number seven, credit card debt. Number six, low energy level. Number five, overdrafts or loans. Number four, overall fitness. Number three, lack of savings and financial future. Number two, growing old. (laughs) And the number one worry of Americans was being overweight. Now, as I read this list, I made three observations. One, these items all fall into two categories, either health or finances, don't they? These are universal human concerns. And then the third observation, these are issues that will be with us as long as we live. Evidently, we're going to have to die in order to stop being concerned about money or health. Uh, Now take all of these common worries and then add the coronavirus on top of that. And it's no wonder some of us are having trouble sleeping. No wonder some of us are feeling under uh, pressure. No wonder we find it hard to concentrate. Have you ever wondered how much time we spend worrying? It's probably more than you think. The same survey asked people how much time they spend worrying, and here's what they found out. Each week we spend an average of 14 hours just in worry. That equals 744 hours of worry a year, which turns into 45,000 hours of worry over a lifetime. That equals 1,885 days in a lifetime spent doing nothing but worrying, which means that we spend about five years of our life captured by worry. 
Now, for most people, it's not just one thing, that, but many things wrapped up together. It's job, it's school, it's work, it's health, it's bills to pay, it's our husband, it's our ex-husband, it's our wife, our ex-wife, the in-laws, the kids, and on and on that list goes. And any one thing we could handle, maybe even two things, but when we get three or four or more together, our knees start to buckle. And to worry is simply to give way to anxiety to give in to unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. The word comes from an old English word that means to strangle, to seize by the throat. Someone once told me about going through a crisis regarding his newborn grandchild who had some serious medical issues, and he spoke of being on this roller coaster of emotions as the doctors first gave them bad news, and then good news, and then The news was somewhat confusing, and added to that, um, he said, I found that it squeezes my mind while I'm trying to do other things. I thought that was an interesting phrase. It squeezes my mind while I'm trying to do other things. But let me give you another definition. Worry is excessive concern over the affairs of our life. The key, obviously, is the word excessive. Worry happens when we're so concerned about the problems of life that we can't think of anything else. And it's this all-consuming feeling of uncertainty and fear. And while I'm talking about worry today, why am I talking about worry today? Uh, Because worry is a problem for two reasons. First of all, it displaces God in our life. When we worry, we are living as though God doesn't exist. We are living as though we are alone in this world to solve our problems. But secondly, worry distracts us from the things that really matter in life. And as long as we are worrying, we can't do anything else. We become strangled by worry. Last week, we talked about how God's promises to, uh, God promises to be with us always and the fact should help us overcome some of that fear. And today we're going to look at God's answer to anxiety and worry and how to find peace. I just said worry is a problem, but it's really a form of idolatry, if you think about it, because when we worry, the thing that we're worried about has replaced God on the throne of the universe. As soon as I say that, uh, people want to argue with me. Say, uh, you don't know what, you're, what I'm going through right now, Rod. How can I be cheerful when my marriage is falling apart? If you lived with my husband or my wife, you wouldn't be happy either. My kids are driving me nuts right now. I've got, I've, I've got COVID-19. How can I rejoice? People have mistreated me. I'm, I'm going to get even. I just want to make some more money, then I'd be really happy. See, there's a lot of things people worry about. But worry and prayer are opposites of each other, like water and fire. We can worry or we can pray, but we really can't do both at the same time. In order to focus our thoughts today, I invite you to concentrate our thinking on a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's Philippians chapter 4, just two verses, 6 and 7. But these two verses contain three truths, a prohibition, a precept, and a promise. Here's the prohibition. 
the first part of six, chapter, uh, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. The King James Version um, says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Tough to do, isn't it? But immediately we want to say, are you kidding? Come on, Paul, what kind of world did you live in? How could the Apostle Paul even say such things? Where was Paul when he wrote these words? Do you know? He was in a Roman jail. He was chained to Roman guards around the clock. And he's writing this letter that says he has no complaints. Or we might say he had plenty to complain about, but he said nothing about that. His future was a pretty dark mystery. He didn't know whether, uh, when or if he would get out of jail. He was at the mercy of Nero, a bloodthirsty dictator. But he never mentions that fact in his letter. In light of the very real problems of life, plus the ongoing pandemic, plus the political unrest that we're seeing all around us, we might ask, how are we supposed to be anxious for nothing? If 90% of us are worried about the coronavirus, how do we get into that elusive even 10%? The, keys, the key seems to lie in the word nothing. It is an utterly exclusive word. We are to worry about nothing because we are to pray about everything. Worry is a deadly poison to the Christian life. It weakens our faith. It encourages our fears. It destroys our joy. It increases our doubt. It accomplishes nothing useful in the spiritual life. Worry makes us think that we can predict the future when only God knows what's going to happen. It distracts us from our legitimate duties. It wrecks our testimony. And it leaves us exhausted and depressed. See, worst of all, worry is a contagious virus that quickly spreads to others. It puts a question mark where God has put a period. It's like a rocking chair, gives us something to do, but it's not gonna give us, get us anywhere. Worry will eat us alive. But this verse also contains a precept. It's the second half of verse six. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Paul gives us four specific instructions on how to deal with worry. One, prayer. When we pray, we come face to face with the God of the universe. This speaks to the attitude of our heart. Prayer begins with our desire, not with our words. And prayer is to the spiritual life what breathing is to our body. So, uh, Romans 8.26 reminds us that when we can't pray or when we all, all we can do is groan under the burdens of life, the Holy Spirit comes and prays for us. And that tells us where we must begin. If all we can do is just cry out, dear God, that might be enough because the Holy Spirit is coming alongside to fill in everything else. Secondly, Paul says in his instructions, there is petition. What is a petition? Well, it's a list. It's a list we make when we're 
in desperate circumstances. It's a document we sign when changes need to be made. And in this verse, it means begging God for what we need. It helps me to think of prayer this way. If Jesus were standing here, what would I ask him for? Or I imagine the Lord saying to me, Ron, what do you want me to do for you? That's the question, if you remember, that Jesus asked a blind man, Bartimaeus, in Mark's Gospel, the 10th chapter. And that blind man got what he had been praying for because he knew what he wanted. Rabbi, I want to see. You see, the Lord loves it when we come to him with a specific request. And so if you need a miracle, ask for one. There's no extra charge for large requests. But the third part of Paul's instructions is thanksgiving. Here's an important antidote to worry. Pray with thanksgiving. Why is that so important? Because worry and gratitude cannot exist together. Worry will drive out our gratitude. Or our gratitude will drive out the worry. So how can we increase our gratitude? We might try quoting one of God's promises. Or try listening to some Christian music. Or try remembering the goodness of God in our life. Or hanging out with grateful people, positive people. There are plenty of grumpy people in the world, aren't there? We have to deal with them, but we don't have to spend all day with them. Well, I don't know what you do for a job, but maybe you do, but we don't have to spend our whole life around grumpy people unless we choose to. We find the grateful folks. Hang out with them when you can. An ungrateful heart is a cold heart, but gratitude melts a cold spirit. Ingratitude destroys the joy of the Lord, but thanksgiving is what brings it back. And then here's the fourth of Paul's instructions, requests. This broad word covers a waterfront of things in life. It includes both our daily prayers and our urgent cries for help, and we make our requests known when we pray in church and when we pray during our quiet time at home, but the term requests also covers Those arrow prayers, you know, that we shoot up during the day when all we can do is quickly say, Lord, I need your help now. Help me get through this. See, the Lord invites us to pray for everything. This, there is no detail too small for him because he reads the fine print of our life. And if it touches us, it touches him. And what we consider trivial is not trivial to God. There's an old song called Jesus on the Main Line. Maybe you never heard it. I never had either until I ran across this recently. It was written in 1972, a song sung by Norman Hutchins, and the lyrics go like this. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. And then comes the refrain. Call him up, call him up. Tell him what you want. And then the next verse, if you're sick and you want to get well, tell him what you want. If you're feeling down and out, tell him what you want. Call him up, call him up, tell him what you want. I think the Apostle Paul would have approved of these lyrics. Don't wait for things to get better. 
Take even your small cares to God because those small cares tend to grow into large ones, don't they? Tell God what you want. So we talked about a prohibition. We talked about a precept. And the final part of this, these two verses is the promise. Look at verse 7. Offers us a wonderful promise to claim. And it says, then you will experience, what? God's peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, when we take our burdens to the Lord, he replaces our worry with something much greater. He replaces that worry with a peace that we can't humanly comprehend. The word guard is a military term that's used for a soldier standing at the gate. When we follow God's plan, God sends us peace, and that peace is the century, century, did I say that right? Century, not century, century. <laughs> there you go. Sentry that stands at the door of our heart. We can't define this peace, but we know what it is when it's there. When peace guards our heart, we stand calm when the whole world is going nuts around us. When peace stands guard, we can have joy even when our heart is breaking. Because God's peace delivers us from bitterness and despair and anger and dishonesty and greed and pessimism. It transcends human understanding because it comes down from heaven to believing hearts. And we can have God's peace anytime we need it. There is no secret we must discover and no code we have to break. God's peace can be ours if we lay hold of Jesus by faith. So here's the big promise for today. We can have the peace of God. Are you worried about your kids, your grandkids? God offers his peace. Are you anxious about the test result from the doctor this week? You can have peace while you wait. Are you concerned about the coronavirus? God's peace will guard your heart. See, God issues the same invitation to all of us. Take your worries, take your cares, take your burdens, take your anxieties, give them all to me. Why should we be lugging around those heavy weights when he will carry it for us? Charles Tinley, who was a Methodist minister and a hymn writer in the late 1800s, wrote these words. He said, if the world from you withhold of its silver and gold, and you have to get along with meager fare. Just remember, in his word, how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Some of us don't have any problem casting our burdens on the Lord. Our problem is that we keep pulling those burdens back, don't we? We are like a fisherman who throws in a line and then reels it back again without waiting for the fish to bite. And I'm cert certain that some of us can identify with that metaphor. See, no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. 
We've all learned that in the last several months. That our plans and God's plans aren't always the same, but we need not give, away, give way to fear because our future is in the hands of God. And we will be all right no matter what happens. A while back, this headline popped up on the Drudge Report. CDC director sees most difficult fall and winter. And that refers to the spread of the coronavirus, but it could easily apply to the ongoing political turmoil we're seeing, the unrest in our streets, the discord in many homes. We seem to be passing through a very difficult period in our history with no end in sight. In times like this, we discover what we believe, don't we? Anyone can trust God when life is good, when no one is sick, we have money in the bank, and our church is happy and healthy, and our kids and grandkids are doing well, but it's a bigger challenge to rejoice and to give thanks and to walk by faith when our schools are closed, when our boss says, ah, we're going to have to let you go, or when we argue constantly about politics and when our church can't meet and when we test positive for COVID-19. To borrow a phrase from Thomas Paine, these are the times that try men's souls. And I wish I could say that things are going to get better in a couple of months. That might be true. I hope so. But only the Lord knows for sure. So the question becomes, will we trust the Lord or will we give in to worry? See, our answer goes a long way to determine the impact that we will have with family, with friends, with neighbors. The world wants to know if what we believe is real. Can we handle hard times? Will we still trust Jesus in uncertain days? Will we walk in worry or will God's peace guard our heart? We can have a great future ahead of us because we have a great God. The question is, will we trust him to lead us through these uncertain times? Let's pray. Lord, we do not pray for a lighter load, but we do ask for stronger shoulders. Deliver us from worry that strangles us, from care that consumes us, from anxiety that overwhelms us. Help us to cast our cares on you and then leave them there. Give us happy hearts because we know that you will carry our burdens so that we don't have to. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.